Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. Once again, I'm Bill Gertine, and with me is esteemed guest Bill Sutton. He is principal of Bill Sutton and Associates and director emeritus of the Vinick Sport and Entertainment Management Program at the University of South Florida. Uh, he is known by many things, but as an expert in the sports industry, he is without a doubt one of the, the people that you go to when you need answers. Bill, thank you so much for agreeing to be here on the Crowdmakers. Hey, my pleasure, Bill. Thank you. You bet. We've been talking about where everyone was, and they can almost tell you the moment on that day in March last year when they first learned that things were going to be shut down. Where were you at that moment, and what was the situation? I was finishing up a consulting visit with the Miami Dolphins, and I had a flight to Minnesota that night, and I was doing them back-to-back. I was going to the Timberwolves, and I got a call that afternoon saying, hey, don't come. Uh, we're shutting down and we're all going home. And, and so I just, you know, booked another flight and went home. And that, that was the last consulting visit I did in 2020 live and in person. And that was 14 months ago or so you've flown a few times since then. I take it. I have. In fact, I just got back from a trip to uh, a golf trip and seeing my son and daughter-in-law in LA. Most important trips with family. That's absolutely great Excellent. Well, so many of those decisions that had to be made very quickly back then when first things first started happening had to be done very quick, working from home, structural changes, safety protocols, so much had to be reconsidered, reimagined. When we look back at all this, what will we say sports got right during the pandemic and what will history say we got wrong? I think it'll say that we what we got right was the ability to adapt and do things we hadn't done before that we were afraid of doing before. You know, you and I have talked numerous times about uh, equipping salespeople with cell phones and having them work remotely and doing different things like that. And, and I've been calling for it for a long time. And here it happened and the world didn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, the world went on. In fact, some teams did very, very well during the pandemic. <laughs> um, I think what we got wrong is that, a, we underestimated it. We underestimated the impact it was going to have and the lingering impact it was going to have and the fear it was going to have. We underestimated the need for what I would call now a chief health officer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I see that being part of our mix from now on. Um, I think we, we appreciate the resiliency of our employees. I think what we learned was that kind of the three musketeers, what happens to one happens to all. So when furloughs happened, you 
were happy to be safe, but disappointed that your friends and other people were let go. And that had a lingering effect. And then finally, I think that it, it forced us all to reassess what's important to us. I think that we found, you know, some, you know, I talked to people all the time that said, you know, I had had dinner with my wife and kids that on a consistent basis for years, or I had had the opportunity to take my kids to school and I love it. So what's going to come out of this is that we'll never be back in the office five days a week. Some teams will probably force the issue and make it happen. I think most teams are going to realize that there's more to life and it's going to be like three in, two out. And I think that's kind of where we, where we need to be. Um, and hopefully people will, will, will evaluate that and understand if they want to keep the best people that we need to adapt to changing times and changing circumstances. And we need to give them some room. Yeah. Sports has always demanded more of us as individuals simply because it was a, almost a keeping up with the Joneses sort of a thing. It was an expectation mm -hmm. when you entered into this fraternity that you would spend that time. Do you see that yeah. changing now? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it change over the last couple of years, Bill. You know, as I've been working with students coming out of school and people looking for jobs, you know, one of the first questions was, do I have to live there? Do I have to work? And this is before COVID. Can I work remotely one or two days a week? Can I do this? What are your benefits? And it was all, you know, the Silicon Valley, Google and Google and Apple and YouTube and the whole group kind of revolutionized a lot of things or brought things to the forefront because of their battle to retain people and attract people. And so those things that they offered became more and more creeping in other areas. Now, there were not as, you know, we don't have, you know, babysitting on site yet. We don't have 24-hour meal service. We don't have transportation to and from work. But we're probably going to move to do things that we haven't done before. At some so, expense, certainly, uh, which has always expense. been the issue. And I think that, you know, if... You know, we're leaner and meaner now, Bill, and I don't know if we're going to, I think that organizations are reprioritizing the hiring as to what they're going to do. Um, they don't need as many people doing certain things. They need other people doing things that hadn't been done before. And maybe then you take some of that money and channel it back into wages or you channel it into some childcare benefit or tuition forgiveness or something that would make a difference and, and make it an attractive, more attractive place to work. Well, we're certainly competing with a lot more people now that are having those as their primary benefits. And, you know, it was cool enough to work for a sports team. It had the sex appeal, perhaps, and that may be diminished somewhat during this time. And, and there may be fewer reasons to be a sports executive than there once was. I agree. People have focused on different things now and where they want to live and how they want to live is a big part of it. And what it will mean is that we'll have to get more competitive. So let's talk about that for a minute because now people are hiring back and most people in the industry thought there would be this huge amount of talent available to hire once things got back to full capacity. What are you seeing teams actually experiencing right now? And, and why has it been so hard to predict what would be available? Oh, interesting question. Uh, yeah, there's, a, there's some talent on the sidelines but the teams seem to be focusing on the people that didn't get furloughed. And, you know, as, as I guess that's a statement that this person's really good. Hmm. So they're still there. They survived this. I'm going to go after them, which I didn't know. I didn't know if I saw that coming right away. I pretty much saw it coming the last six or seven months. So if you take a look at somebody, you need a piece, 
you're looking at somebody that's still doing that piece rather than somebody on the sidelines. Interesting. So poaching rather than uh, yes. taking someone who's currently available, quote unquote. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And How a will lot that of affect people, the industry? What, 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 what effect is that having on the industry then to poach each other's talent? Well, it's always going on. Um, it's just going to go, it's a little bit more acute now because you're taking uh, a higher level executive perhaps or a higher level director. And if you don't, if you're not backfilled, if you don't have depth and you probably don't have depth because of COVID, uh, it's going to affect, you know, your, your performance in the short term for sure. Yeah. Is now, this is the, be- this is the test of bench strength. Hmm. You know, how many people, and there's some organizations that didn't follow anybody. And there's some organizations that furloughed a significant portion. And so as you're, as you're seeing hiring back now, you know, you're obviously you're hiring back in sales. Obviously you're hiring back in data. Obviously you're now you're hiring more in digital than you did. You're hiring more in content than you did. So, you know, and, you know, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Um, You know, one of them, one of my clients came up with this concept of one revenue and it's all hands on deck for organizational revenue, which I really, really like. And so we're kind of getting back to the point where everybody can sell anything. And that'll be good for a while. And then we'll have to get specialized. As demand, as demand creeps back up, then you still need group sales. People just totally focused on that. But right now, you know, what's a group? Is a group 20 or more? Probably not. Is a group 10 or more? Maybe. Is a group six? Probably. You know, what can you put in your pod and what's your attendance policy and everything else? And, you know, we'll see where we're going to go. I mean, you know, the NFL looks like full, full attendance, you know, baseball moving that way in June and July. And so we'll get some of that specialization creeping back. But this past year, I really was impressed with this one revenue approach. And does that mean full menu for everyone in the building that everyone has the ability to sell? What does that look like? It's full menu for all the sellers. So if you were a premium seller, you can now sell season tickets. If you were an inside sales rep and you were selling partial plans, you can now sell fulls. You can sell premium. You can sell courtside. You can do whatever. Yeah. Wow. And also, also, it took some of the better ticket sellers and get immersed them a little bit into corporate sales. So you were you were creating a, a bullpen, if you will of people that had ability to sell other products. So I, I thought it was a great concept. I just don't know how, what the longevity of it is now that we're back into the, the demand and trying to do the specific things now, depending on what we are, where we are. So as we get back into this full capacity, what should teams be doing right now to prepare for what's ahead? Are there any areas of sports business that they ought to be looking at most closely when they return? I would hire a chief health officer. Or, you know, have somebody on loan from one of my corporate partners that's in that space. Because at the end of the day, it's still about, is it safe? You know, it's the old marathon man, the dentist scene. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? And people want to know that. I mean, there's some people that don't care. And they're going to run in. They're going to go wherever they're going to go. There's other people that that are going to stick a toe in the water, see what it feels like, and then make their decision based upon that. And then there's other people that are going to sit on the sidelines, just like the vaccine. I mean, I've got seven of my close friends. We talk every Sunday night, six of us are vaccinated. The other guy's been waiting to see what happened to us. And so that waiting, wait and see is always going to be there for some people. They're just, you know, more cautious and more have more reservations than other people. Um, 
I think what we're going to see on the business side is I think we're going to see demand like we haven't seen from people that have never come or come very, very infrequently. On the other hand, we're going to have less frequency of people that did come because they found other things to do. How will that balance end up uh, shaking out, do you think? I think it'll shake out pretty close to status quo. Okay. Where they they were. But it's going to be more people going to fewer games. And so, but more people, more people in the funnel. You're a big sales funnel guy. So more people in the sales funnel, which is going to also necessitate what we sell. And we're going to need more and more innovative ticket plans. Like, you know, I've never gone to a game before. You're not going to sell me 41 NBA games or 81 baseball games. It's not going to happen. You're probably not going to sell me 20 because I haven't gone. I don't know what the experience is. But what you're going to have is a need for something like, let's say, a game of the month plan. Let me entertain you and your family one time a month. So six games or seven games, depending on the season. Or if you're in college sports, maybe it's a sampler. Maybe it's, you know, a football game, a men's game, basketball, women's basketball game, lacrosse game, baseball game. So it's something every month, just trying different things. And I've actually worked with one of my clients and they're actually implementing that. So we'll see how that goes. I just think we have to be innovative and understand that people want to come out. They want to do things. They want to have fun. They want to be, they want to see what you have to offer, but on their terms, you know, in terms of how much of my time is this going to take? Does it take away from anything else? Can I bring my kids? Um, What's the overall cost of attending, which has to be factored in as well. And see where we go. There's been no department that's probably been more affected than the group sales department. I mean, the very nature of groups became non-existent for the last 15 months. And so what do you see group sales evolving into? What should departments look like going forward differently, perhaps, than what was before? You know, I was talking to people and I think the word pods is a it's a word that that you're probably not comfortable with. (laughs) Not science fiction like. Yes. You know, invasion of the body snatchers. Those were yes. pods. I'm not sure I want to be in a pod. And so I was talking to people and I said, you know what? Why don't you give people the opportunity to create a neighborhood? I said, so instead of having a group of 100, 100 people coming to a group, that was, that was very common, right? But you didn't, you didn't talk to the 100 people you came with. You maybe talked to four or five people while you're sitting at the game. So why do the 100 people have to sit together? They don't. So maybe way you sell a group is, hey, we're going to take care of your group of 100. And guess what? Groups of four or five, you're going to be able to pick who you want to sit with and who you want to talk to. And we're going to help set that up for you. We're going to do those things. Um, the F&B part of it is, you know, the part that's way up in the air, concession stands and handling and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Um, a lot a lot changes. And that's always a big part of the group. You know, where's the hospitality? What are we doing? What's happening here? Um, so that has to be well thought out. And, you know, you know, Bill, I talked to one of my clients and uh, we were talking, you know, hospitality. And I said, you know, I'm sitting in a suite. And you bring me my dinner in a box. I said, you know, I, I've been to enough conferences where I've got a boxed lunch or a boxed meal. And it's not something I'm very excited about. So how are you going to get a person in the suite who spent significant money excited about getting their dinner in a box. And so I told him, I said, I said, what you have to do is you have to create a story about that dinner. So obviously a lot of thought had to go into this dinner, right? 
you had to source different things and you, what, what is going to be able to stand up to being in a box and yada, yada, yada. So I said, I would have the chef or the, you know, members of the chef's team visit every suite before the meal comes out and give them the story of how that was selected. You know, what we did, what recipes we looked at, what we considered, and then give them a complimentary bottle of wine that goes with the meal and get them excited about what's going to be in the box. But you got to create the story and the anticipation because otherwise you're setting yourself up for disappointment because it's in a box. What a great idea. And it, it is, it creates the mystique about what's inside versus simply exactly. assuming that the marketing will happen because the game is going on. That's exactly right. Really smart. You have to remember that, you know, when you're entertaining people in a suite and you're entertaining people and people go in a group, you know, a certain portion of them are excited about the game. And a certain part, they're not. They're in it for the other people or they're in it to make a connection or start a relationship. And that's the priority. And you have to, you have to always keep that in mind. So the things that you thought were complimentary might be critical rather than complimentary. Right. You've been nearly 40 years in this business. You've been in sports education at USF, at UCF, at UMass, Ohio State. The list goes on. You've influenced thousands of people in the sports industry. You were a VP in Teambo in the NBA under David Stern for many years. You've had the chance to see maybe hundreds of organizations. And, and one of the things that I've always enjoyed about you is you've been a preacher of change, even when it's not very popular. And yet one of the things that frustrates you so much is what isn't changing in sports. Even today with everything that's gone on, what are you on a crusade right now to change in the industry at this stage in your career? Meaningful diversity hiring. Tell us more. And when I say that is how committed are you to really hiring diverse people? Are you, are you trying to make your team photo look better? Or do you really want to be challenged and you really want to be sensitized to what's going on? Do you really want to understand more about areas that impact your business that from a different perspective. And that's, that. you know, I, I have some clients that I'm just so proud of that are really into that and really their hiring reflects it. And when your hiring reflects it at all levels, Bill, not just entry level people, if you hire diverse at the entry level, that's great, but they still need to see someone that looks like them in a managerial or a, a, a role that I can aspire to. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes that doesn't exist. So you recruit well at the minority level, but then you lose the people as they go somewhere else where they're, they're more comfortable knowing that people like that look like them can advance. And so sometimes you got to bite the bullet and, and hire from outside and bring in someone at a higher level, spend more money and, and have somebody can contribute to, you know, the diversity and inclusion message, which is much, much more than, than what someone looks like or what their background is. It's their thought process. And I tell people all the time, I said, you know, you can have, you can hire a diverse candidate that went to Harvard, but how diverse are they? Because they went to school with everybody else and they did this and they grew up in this neighborhood and they, and they did all these things. Or you can hire somebody from an HBCU that didn't have those things. is very different than what you have. Has very different ways of looking at things. 
how comfortable are you hiring someone with very little in common? Because we know, Bill, that hiring tends to, you tend to hire people that you're comfortable with, sure. people that you know, people that, you know, are similar. And when you want D&I, you've got to go outside of that. And some people are great at it and some people aren't. And what you're really talking about here is diversity of thought, diversity of manners of approaching a problem. Uh, And tendencies can be toward sticking with people that are somewhat predictable. Uh, And and perhaps... uh, Non-threatening. Non-threatening, a great word. You've been preaching this for 10 years, 12 years or so. And as, as I remember, you really see diversity as a way to challenge a company's way of thinking and really offer leadership this whole different perspective. Do you think we're losing sight of that part of the discussion right now? Uh, you know, I think since George Floyd, and that's a year ago yesterday, I think since George Floyd, there is a real interest in improving the team photo. And that's a start. I'm not, crit- I'm not critical. That's a start. But I want to see more meaningful programming and recruiting and promotion to get to where we need to get to. You know, when I always come back to, you know, what I come back to, I come back to the NFL and Ray Rice. Mm. And I remember that rush to judgment. And I remember saying to my wife that day when that decision came down, I said, I would bet there wasn't a woman in that room when that decision was made. And I said, and that reflects poorly on the decision and the process involved. And so you've seen organizations understand that, you know, you don't want a hundred percent of agreement. You don't want bobbleheads as David, David Stern used to call us. He said, I don't want bobbleheads. You know, I want people to stand up and, and challenge things and do different things. So we're moving away from bobbleheads, which is good and which is where we have to get, but we need to understand that, you know, if somebody doesn't agree with you, it's not the end of the world. It's a great discussion. And, you know, my good friend, Scott O'Neill, he used to stir it up just for the sake of stirring it up. He would just say something just to provoke a discussion. And we learned that from David Stern. I remember one time I was in David's office and I was very passionate and very adamant about something. And he kept grilling me and just saying it was a dumb idea. And why would I think that? You know, I got And I just said, okay, David, the health, you know, I started to walk out. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I just wanted to see how committed you were to what you were trying to sell me. Hmm. And so how committed are you in what you're trying to do? And, you know, um, we're losing Rick Welts from the, from the industry this year. And, you know, Rick Welts was a great champion of diversity of thought, diversity of, of people. He was great. And we need more Rick Welch's in the world. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years. And I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zalaski, 
Debbie Nolan, Misha Sher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. So as the new Rick Welts of the world come up, the leaders that we're now getting in sports business, they've got so much on their plates right now, and not a lot of it is certain. So after wondering what's next, they have so many priorities on their desks right now that are really clamoring for attention that have never really been, uh, it, we've never been here. And now new leaders are, are forced to choose just what to focus on in their roles. What would be your advice to someone who's just stepped into a leadership role with a team recently? What, where should they focus on first and how might you guide them in their uh, prioritization? Well, interesting you should say that because, you know, uh, Gretchen just stepped up at the, the Rockets, just stepped into the shoes. Gretchen Shire. And so know, the yep. question that you just posed is one I'm sure that she's overwhelmed with right now. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And, uh, you know, it is challenging. It is extremely challenging because now, besides the DNI issues and the health and safety issues, you also have, you know, what your main focus is, is generating revenue. And you've, you're all coming off losses. You're all coming off revenue shortages. What are you going to do to address those revenue shortages? How are you going to capture these new people that want to come to, to games? What are, you, what are your products going to be? What are your make goods for your partners, uh, your sponsors? Um, you know, you're, you, you didn't make, you're in the lottery for the, eighth or ninth time what do you do to, to, to give people the message that there is hope you know you know i'm a pirate fan through it all okay and you know i bet the under in vegas for the number of wins i have no expectations but i love the pirates and i'm going to go back up for five games in august and i'm one of those people that i don't care if you win i'm happier but if I see effort and growth and improvement, I'm just as happy. But I'm not common. <laughs> I'm not common. There are people that really want to see progress. Um, you know, a corporate partner wanting to be, make sure his brand is associated with another great brand. You know, what are you doing? So the challenges of being an executive in 2021 and moving forward are, are much more intense and varied than they've ever been, in my opinion. Because we've had a lot of them before, but then you throw the health care ball in there. And that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, we never had to deal with it before. Yeah. Really challenging time. You've, uh, so many other issues that are happening. You've spent a lot of years in the college space. And of course, the topic of name, image, and likeness is now rearing its head. This, this sort of compensation for that is, I know, very close to you. A lot of people are talking about how it'll change athletes but I'd like to ask you about how you think it will affect an athlete's choice of careers after their athletic career is done. Now, you know, since many D1 athletes are hired by sports sales teams, 
do you see fewer athletes becoming involved in the business side of sports in the coming years? It's a great question. Um, you know, I'm one that on the NIL thing, you know, I've got a couple of schools of thought on it. One, Kate Cunningham would have had a great year. He would have made some serious coin this year. It would have been great for him. Jalen Suggs would probably had a good year. But for other people, I don't know. You know, what about another senior on the team that didn't have a role, didn't, you know, what's NIL mean to him or her? Uh, unless they unless they have a personality on social media and attract followers in a different reason. I mean, so you have these things there. And then, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I did my dissertation on football recruiting. I did not. Uh, back in my Oklahoma State days, which is when in graduate school, Jimmy Johnson was there. Mm-hmm. And when Jimmy Johnson left, the Sports Illustrated article was called Deep in Hot Water in Stillwater. So I saw a lot of maneuvering, not just there, but other places, to attract athletes. And I'm wondering if NIL is going to be similar. So if I'm at Alabama and I'm recruiting Alabama, Alabama's a bad example because they don't need to. I'm at, I'm at another SEC school, not Alabama. And I'm recruiting someone, and now I can say, hey, you know, we have a car dealer that would love to use your name, image, and likeness to help promote automobile sales. Well, now that looks like that could happen. Oh. Oh. So is that what we want to do? I mean, there, there are always intended consequences and unintended consequences. And so do you understand all the unintended consequences that could arise from this? I don't think anybody does. I think, I think this is a response to we, need to we need to figure out a way to pay student athletes without paying student athletes, or as I call them, athletic students. <laughs> we, need to figure out, we need to figure out a way to compensate them. And so I'm looking at other things now. I'm looking at some people bypassed. College and are going to go to the G League this year. Come, couple of very highly, rec- highly recruits, and then I'm looking at the overtime league. You know, 30, 30 players, a hundred thousand dollars a player. You're going to get seen. The, the NBA is going to scout you. You know, a hundred thousand dollars. Why would I turn that down? You know, and I'm going to be. You know, I don't know what my network TV is going to be, but I'm sure I'm going to have some television coverage. I'm going to be streamed all over the world, so I'm going to have plenty of opportunity here. So, you know, I'm probably with Jay Billis, you know, I look at the investment that these students make and, you know, my advisor, Dr. John Rooney wrote a book called the recruiting game that I used as part of my dissertation as well. And he's advocated for years about paying student, paying students to play. And so I'm, I'm, I've never been against it. So I just think that we need to find the right recipe but I'm also the kind of guy, if you're going to pay one student athlete, you pay them all. And I'm, I'm talking about women's volleyball and women's lacrosse and tennis and golf and everything else. They all get paid. They all have a stipend. They're working for the university. Well, ticket sales is a big thing everywhere, and whether you're college or pro or wherever it is. And, and we've got proactive sales efforts now being started up again by nearly every team and property. Mm-hmm. How should a rep approach a prospect differently today versus how they were approaching someone just a year or two ago, in your opinion. Okay. A year or two ago, you were in a phone room making a hundred calls. I don't think that's what you should do. I mean, we have this thing called a cell phone that is not 
solely an auditory device. It has video capabilities. And so what I've been telling my clients for years, and it's hopefully happening now, is before I ever pick up the phone and make a call, the first thing I do is I go out and I make a video, two to three minutes of people in the stands having a good time in the game. I show the cheerleaders, I show the mascot, I show some concession stands. I might interview a few people that are there asking them you know, why they came out to different things. And I'd probably end with showing maybe three seating sections, seat locations that are available. And I then text that out or I email that out to my prospect. And I say, hey, watch this video. This is what I want to talk to you about. And there's three seating locations at the end. I would like to know where you'd like to sit because I'm going to invite you to a game. And we'll sit down. And that night, I want to talk to you about buying tickets. But I want you to know this is what this is all about. I want you to understand what the game and everything is all about. Rather than try and sit there, cold call somebody, and then try and describe to them over the phone what a game is. You don't have to do that. There's a video. You can show people having a good time. People want to see people enjoying themselves so that it validates it validates the reason to buy Mm -hmm. because you know you're not gonna win every game you show a little maybe 10 15 seconds of basketball action or baseball action whatever it is you know i went to a game the other night i saw shohei otani hit a 450 foot home run in in anaheim and i gotta tell you the noise that the ball made when hit the bat i would have on my video Mm -hmm. absolutely if i was selling baseball tickets how would you like to see this in person? Because the roar of the crowd, everything from that moment on. But I'm on a phone. And yeah, you could see Shoei Itani hit a home run. Or you could watch him hit the home run, hear the crowd, watch the reaction and say, and you could have been there and sitting here and you could have caught the ball. You know, and not only is what you're talking about sexier and more involving to the consumer, it probably speaks better to the skill set of today's younger people who are selling to be on Absolutely. video versus on the phone. They don't talk on the phone. They text on the phone. Why not let them do what they're good at? You know, sometimes it's painful to hear somebody on the phone for the first time. You know, Bill, for years, I've always taken a call. You know, I always take a sales call. And when I'm on the call, I'll say to the person, listen, I said, I'm in sales. So as soon as you go to the script, I'm going to warn you. And the second time you go to the script, I'm going to hang up. But I want you to have a conversation with me to tell me why you're calling me and what you're calling me about. And they always agree to that. And about 10 seconds in, they're in the script and I warn them. And I've yet to not hang up on somebody (laughs) when they go back to script a second time. Nobody can resist. They can't be off on their own. They can't really. And you tell people all the time when you're doing the script that you need to internalize this. This needs to become you, you know, and when you meet somebody that can do it skillfully, it's a pleasure. Yes. Yes. To learn a script at the beginning is fundamental. And yet yes. to, to evolve out of the script is as fundamental, in my opinion, as well. One of my favorite things to do with new salespeople is I said, well, let me call one of your prospects and I'll get on the phone. And this is true, Bill. I get on the phone and say, hey, this is Bill Sutton from blah, 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 blah. I'm just calling you about your season tickets. And, and the guy will say, well, I don't have season tickets. And I'll say, I know. That's why I'm calling. I can't believe you don't have season tickets to see this team. And they, I always get a laugh. And the person usually says, okay, what do you want to tell me? But it's just a different way of, of opening, you know? And people say, well, you would call them and tell them that? I said, sure. I said, it's, it's humor. 
you know, and the person's first, well, on a season tickets are kind of panicked that maybe their credit card got charged or whatever it is. You say, yeah, I know, but I just can't believe you don't. Look at this. Look what happened last night. You, you've got to keep it fresh, Bill. I mean, you've been in this business. You've been training great people. And you, you're always innovating how you teach sales. And, and, and that's, that's our challenge. You know, we've got, you know, if you look at somebody you trained 10 years ago and how you would train that person now, it's radically different. Yes, it is. And so, you know, we all have to change. We have to realize that the people that we're teaching to call have changed, as are the people answering the phone. Yeah. You know, there's so many things that need to change. What do you suppose the pandemic has given us in sports a chance to change or to do or to be that you think may never come again? Did it give us a chance to really look at ourselves and, and look to the future differently? I think so. I think that what you're going to see is you'll see an evolution in workspace. I mean, the first one, I, you know, years and when I was at Teambo, Eric Woolworth got rid of cubicles and had an open floor. And thought that, and I thought that was great. Mm. Now, can we have an open floor with COVID or we have to go back to cubicles? So what's the workspace going to look like? Or do we need that many cubicles? Do we need just some, some interesting places to sit like nooks and crannies? And, you know, the Timberwolves offices are my favorite offices now in all sports. And it's an old, inner, it's an old downtown mall. Mm -hmm. Okay. They actually kept one of the movie theaters for presentations. But they've created all this interesting workspace, and it just seems like, and there's a place to get downstairs to have coffee and Starbucks, different things like that. I just think that we have to understand that how we interact with each other is going to be different. You know, are we going to have a mask on? Are we going to ask somebody if they've been vaccinated before we meet with them? You know, where does all that stand? And we're going to have to come to... We're going to have to come to grips with it. And we're going to have vaccination IDs. I don't know. Am I appalled by the idea of a vaccination ID? No, not really. My goal is to be safe for myself and the people I'm around. So if you told me I need to have a vaccination ID, I'm fine with it. I'm not Marjorie Taylor Greene comparing it to the Holocaust. Um, but I, I just think that, you know, we have to, we have to look at our safety and security differently than we have ever. You know, ever since 9-11, 9-11 kind of put it on the radar. But then as, as we got further and further from that, oh, that was a one-time terrorist attack. Well, if we lived in Israel, it wouldn't be a one-time terrorist attack. It would be a, a bi-weekly or a Palestinian bi-weekly thing, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on where you are and what you're exposed to, what your worldview is, what you're exposed to, you need to take a look and, and decide how these things are going to happen, how you're going to relate to people, how you're going to interact. I've got Best Buy coming to check out my home theater today. And I get a big elaborate email today about wearing my mask and meeting a person. And if I don't have a mask, they'll provide me one. Yada, yada, yada. I went to a concert a month ago. Okay. First time I've been to a concert in 13 months. I get this elaborate email. You're in a pod. You're going to sit here. I have to wear your mask at all times. You can drink in your seat, but not eat in your seat. All this stuff, right? I go to the concert. As soon as the lights went out, they didn't have the seats tied down. So the pods went right out the window. Uh -huh. Okay. You can sit where people were sitting wherever they wanted to. And then when the lights went down, the mask went down. And I saw people moving about wherever they wanted to go. I saw people running up to the stage. It was like, you know, 2019. How did that make you feel as a concert goer? Why did you take the time to, con to construct that email if you had no plans to enforce it?
you know, like what we're saying now, um, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. Okay. But you don't really want to know if I'm vaccinated because you don't want to have the hassle of enforcing that. So I can just say, yes, I'm vaccinated and you're going to take me at my word. Well, okay. So I don't know how, again, we get into that public safe and health, public safe, safety and health. I've got a Viking cruise that I purchased when I was on a cruise before COVID. I bought a Viking cruise for this year later on. I get an email from the chairman of Viking Cruise Lines with a video saying, thank you for your past support of Viking. I see that you bought a cruise. I know you're probably apprehensive about your cruise. Let's talk about what your cruise is going to look like. And then we go on a walking tour. And he shows us a COVID lab in the, in the, in the ship. And he tells you that every morning somebody's going to come to your cabin, take a sample, and you'll be cleared within 30 to 45 minutes. He shows ultraviolet lighting. He shows robot cleaners. He shows sanitation units. And then he reminds everybody that on Viking, every, every stateroom is open, is open air to the sea. There's no internal inside cabins on a Viking cruise line. And he goes on all about all these things about why it's going to be safe. And I think, Wow. So I told every one of my teams, make a, I sent them that video. I said, you need to make your version of this video. So like the Timberwolves are sponsored by the Mayo Clinic. Who better than the Mayo Clinic to walk with you through the venue and say, yeah, it's great. You know, we put these protocols in. All these protocols are here, but you still need to do this, this, and this. Just make me feel better about things. Make me feel that it's, it's safe. Great analogy and uh, terrific insights here. I, I love to wrap up our podcast by giving you some rapid fire questions that I just need to have you answer right off the top of your head, if that's all right. Okay. Yeah, all right. Very sure. good. Favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Longmire. Ah. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID? Broadway. The board game you thought would never see the light of day again from your closet that you actually pulled out and played in 2020? Risk. You sound really, really thrilled about the. I forgot how long the game was. <laughs> Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Ooh. Creed's Clearwater Revival. Cool. Uh, Favorite sports team that you have not worked for? Ooh. The Angels. Okay. Uh, the restaurant you've ordered DoorDash from more than any other? Uh, via Italia. All right. Favorite comedian or comedian? Colin Jost and Michael Che on Saturday Night Live Weekend Update. They do a great job. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Favorite thing about where you're living right now, which is, uh, is it, are you in Tampa, in Florida? I am in Tampa. Yep. Yeah, very, no winter. No winter. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months? Losing some weight. <laughs> I think all of us can relate there. And then finally, one bold prediction that you would have for sports and entertainment going forward. Complacency will kill you. Innovation will reward you. Wow. Great quote. Bill, we are so grateful for your time. Bill Sutton, the principal of Bill Sutton and Associates and director emeritus of the Vinick Sport and Entertainment Management Program at the University of South Florida. Thank you so much for taking time here on the Crowdmakers. Absolutely my pleasure, Bill. 
If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.